Welcome to the Expat Empire Podcast, the podcast where you can hear from expats around the world and learn how you can join them. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today for the second episode of the Expat Empire Podcast. Today, we will be hearing from Kirill Alfarov, who also goes by the pen name Luigi Verona. He was born in the Ukraine, grew up in Russia, and in the United States in his youth, and has been living in Berlin, Germany for the last few years with his wife. We talk about many topics, including what it is like to grow up in a country that no longer exists, what it takes for a foreigner to be able to succeed in the Russian work environment, and advice on how to find jobs abroad based on how Kirill found his very first job in Germany. Without further ado, let's start the conversation. Hey, Kirill, thanks so much for joining the Expat Empire podcast. Hey, nice to be here. If you could tell me a little bit about your background, you know, where you're originally from, where around the world you've lived so far, and where you live now, that'd be great. Okay, so uh, I was actually born in a country that no longer exists. So I was born in the Soviet Union, uh, and that's uh, a country that no longer exists, of course. Um, And uh, since then, I've lived in, I mean, within the Soviet Union, which I think still, you know, makes sense to talk about. I lived in Ukraine because part of my family is uh, actually from Ukraine. And then I lived in Russia, what is today known as Russia. And then um, I lived in U.S. for a while in New York City. And now I'm living in Germany and Berlin. If you could just, I guess, talk a little bit more about your upbringing in terms of growing up in all of those different countries, particularly as you've saw some, I imagine, pretty stark differences between, uh, you know, Russia and the Ukraine and the United States, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, this is this is a very interesting thing, is that uh, people who live in many countries, they begin to look at the world a little differently. So in uh, January, I think, uh, the local DE, which is a website which will deliver to you news in English whether if you, about European countries, uh, an author by the name of Shelley Pasquale wrote an article which is called It's Time We Stop Asking Where Are You From in Germany. And she was specifically talking about uh, how people who come to Germany from abroad but live here for a very, very long time uh, are still being asked where are you from based on their appearance. And then people say, oh, for example, uh, you don't look Canadian or whatever, something like that. And so the author was speaking about how she's annoyed about it. Uh, it's very interesting because uh, indeed, whenever people ask you, where are you from, they expect to get something useful from that information. So for example, they can ask me, where are you from? And I'll tell them, well, I'm, I, I was born in Russia. And then people proceed to try to make certain conclusions from that. But of course, once you lived in so many countries, you might have chosen an absolutely different perspective, an absolutely different cultural background for you. So whenever people, I like, I talk to people about this, I typically tell them that although I was born in Russia, in, in Soviet Union, in fact, I'm not a very cultural Russian in that uh, I, uh, I was uh, very early on uh, exposed to uh, American culture, of course, which made it very quickly global through English language. And so for a very long time, uh, for example, even uh, when the Internet started, I was never part of the Russian Internet, for example. And I think that many people are like that, especially people who are traveling. And one of the reasons they're traveling is that they are able to see the whole world as their home. So as banal as it sounds, I think that it kind of makes sense to many of us. Um, so I guess, yeah, yeah I, I guess I guess that my upbringing is very 
very Western based. Can you say that it's specifically US based? I guess so. But obviously, as for someone who has never lived in Russia, I obviously have a very significant background that where I, I speak Russian fluently. I've lived most of my life currently in Russia and among people who speak Russian. So, of course, that is also a big part of of just my informational background, so to speak. Uh, but at the same time, uh, when I returned from U.S. to Russia, I l uh, the situation was that because, imagine this is like, a, it was a very closed country, and suddenly the, um, you know, the walls came down, and all this information from around the world came flooding in. And so there was not a lot of focus on trying to integrate in a specifically Russian culture. That was a very interesting phenomenon. So when I came back from U.S., I didn't have any pressure to start reading Russian books or start watching specifically Russian movies. And so I kind of never did that. And actually many people, uh, even who like were my classmates and never left Russia, were in a very you know, very uh, similar predicaments. So a lot of the people of my age uh, have grown up watching Western stuff or just non-Russian stuff because that was new and interesting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think it really rings true, this notion of the antiquated feeling of asking someone where they're from and, of course, coming up with some sort of expectations or stereotypes based on that. What was it like from what you can recall from your early years in the United States? Did you feel some, you know, strong differences? What did you note that really stood out to you? And did that have an impact on your interest in working abroad in the future? So um, I have a kind of a twofold impression here. Uh, on one hand, uh, the facts are that I was just too small. Like I was just a kid to really realize this. My parents were, were of course, in deep shock. So we went to U.S., uh, through a this kind of Soviet Union had this program where they had to recruit random people around the country to help them to kind of employ them to work in the embassies around the world. Actually, a lot of closed countries do that. And they do it randomly so that, the, you know, people are grabbed randomly. They are given a, a very temporary contract, like two from two to four years, and then they're thrown back into their country. And that's it. And, you know, uh, so it's like very temporary. Uh, and so my parents were teachers and they were teachers at the embassy. And so, of course, to them, this was a complete shock because coming from a small city in the Soviet Union into like New York, obviously, this was a big shock. Us kids, like me and my sister, we didn't understand any of it. Now we just we just accepted it for what it is. Like, wow, okay, now we're in some new place. So of course, you know, there wasn't any shock because we're just too small at that time. Uh, at the same time, of course, it changed completely the direction of my life because uh, you know it it gave me a perspective that many people did not have at the time. Right, and especially I would imagine your language skills as well, which have been useful, you know, through here in Berlin and maybe other places in the future, would you agree? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I was uh, I was sent to an American public school. And so for two years, I was actually, you know, going to school in America with, you know, other Americans. So this was very beneficial to just learning the language like uh, in actual practice. This is something that people usually don't have. Also, I was there from the age of 9 to 13, I think, something like that. And so this is this is a very important age, right, for a kid. Not only do you grab a lot of cultural stuff, you, your brain is still pretty flexible to learn the language and get all the nuances there. So this was very helpful. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so after that experience, maybe about four years in the United States, moving back to Russia, and as you considered, you know, upon high school graduation, going to university, did you only look at universities within Russia or did you consider other options? So at that time, I lived actually in a very small city in Russia. Well, it's not very small, but it's not Moscow. And at that time, maybe even today, if it's not Moscow and St. Petersburg, you're pretty much, uh, you know, very limited in your options. So uh, I was actually uh, studying to be a physicist. Uh, I never seriously considered being a scientist. At that time, I really dreamt about being a musician. <laughs> so <laughs> no surprises there. I think that many people, uh, you know, at some point in time, dream about some creative uh, career and hoping that they're going to be like a celebrity or something like that. But I really wanted to be like a musician at that time. And um so, but basically, I was thinking, of course, about a career eventually uh, connected to IT. So, although, you're, like, as a physicist, you still are, you know, immersed in this kind of stuff. Math, IT, computers, because there's a lot of modeling that I was doing as part of my, like, uh, PhD studies. Although I actually didn't, uh, didn't get the PhD, I didn't uh, actually go for it eventually, uh, but I was studying for it. And so we did a lot of, you know, uh, modeling. So you get a lot into programming, into pretty some serious programming. And so after this, it's very easy to go, go on and just, you know, do IT. Yeah. So how did you find your first position and what city did you actually end up in at that time? Uh, so eventually, I mean, my family moved to Moscow mm -hmm. and uh, then, I, uh, you know, after I finished graduated university, I also moved to Moscow and then I started working for a game company. Mm -hmm. So my first my first position was actually a level designer. Oh wow! Uh, for an, yeah, for an RPG game, and uh, fortunately or not, this lasted for like two weeks and three days. <laughs> My level designer. Then I went on to be a PHP programmer, and I've been doing web development for several years, and then moving on to project and product management. So, from your perspective, actually moving to the big city along with your family and having your first uh, working positions there, what was it actually like to work in Russia? That's a good question, uh, and the answer to it must be that by that time, Moscow became pretty much a very international city, uh, the level of many capital uh, cities around the world. So at that time, uh, living and working in Russia, just as it's probably today, although I haven't lived there for quite a while, but uh, it's probably a very Western type of uh experience so you have a lot of a lot of companies including a lot of international companies and uh, I didn't actually work uh, for that long for just strictly Russian companies mm -hmm. uh, very quickly I started working for companies which uh, are international companies based in Moscow uh, for example I worked for Nokia and uh, I worked for a number of other companies that kind of have their local offices in Russia because I mean because I could speak English, that allowed me to just expand my career opportunities and it was just more fun, to be honest. So, uh, but uh, still, uh, when I talk to people from Russia who still work there, I think that more or less it's a pretty global experience nowadays. So, at least in Moscow, that experience is pretty much on par with everywhere else. It's super, I mean, like, of course I'm generalizing, but in general, that's how it felt. Right. And in terms of your experience working at international companies, did you feel any major differences in 
the business culture and the work culture that you'd experience in those environments, as you said, maybe it's more fun or, you know, maybe it's a more exciting company to work for, but in terms of the actual feel of day-to-day work and the hierarchy perhaps, or other, you know, cultural elements of working in a company, did, did that change a lot? It changed a little bit. I would say that, for example, as I moved to, I think, yeah, Nokia was my first position in, in an international company. Uh, it was less, um, like you were less controlled, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's normal for, like, again, I, I this is so, like, it's dangerous to try to generalize. But in a lot of companies that were strictly Russian, and especially smaller companies, maybe it has to do with just a company being smaller, uh, you have more control over you, and people care whether you, you know, oh, this guy got late, this guy's like five minutes late, oh, that's a problem, you know. Whereas in international companies, you usually have this very elaborate system of KPIs, you know, teams, uh, where the responsibilities are somehow tracked differently, maybe less formally so. So instead of looking at how how many minutes late you are today, people would look at what results you have. Yeah, definitely. I think that makes a huge impact. And of course, as you mentioned, you've been uh, away from the Russian work environment for, and even the international companies there for a couple of years. But from what you saw and experienced there, how difficult do you think that it would be for expats to be able to work and live in Moscow, especially maybe not being completely fluent in Russian? Um, well, I, I think that Russia, like a lot of countries, uh, is not that international. Um, mm-hmm. So... Um, if you're an expat who's working in an international company, you're fine. Of course, you're fine. But in terms of day-to-day operations, generally, even in Moscow, most people don't speak English. There are no signs in English. Uh, the subway system is horrible if you don't know Russian. And also for a lot of uh, people who are based in um, in Latin, uh, Russia has obviously Cyrillic uh Cyrillic alphabet. So that is also very confusing, I guess. It's like me going to China and, you know, it's like, whoa, I don't understand anything at all because I don't even understand what the letters are. Uh, So yeah, I think that it, it it is very challenging. It's not impossible. And I think that it's always like... If you're if you're open-minded to just getting into this challenge, then it's always possible, of course, to work around this. But is it going to be challenging? Definitely. This is not a country that has an infrastructure to welcome uh, foreigners necessarily. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so, for you, as you started, you know, building your career there, how did you decide to actually leave Russia and end up in Germany? Well, that decision, um, so there were two phases to the decision. Me and my wife kind of always thought that, you know, maybe it's time to just get some new experience and work and live somewhere else. Uh, absolutely, absolutely divorced from any political issues. But also, unfortunately, uh, when in 2014 things started happening internally in Russia, uh, we, you know, we decided that we're not very compatible with this. So we just decided to... As And as we anyway wanted this, we decided that this is just a good motivational event for us to indeed proceed and, you know, and leave. Uh, you know, I had a couple of options uh, and I decided to, you know, to go with Brazil. I actually had an option uh, to go to Singapore. So I had hmm. two offers, one one to Singapore, another to Berlin. But I decided to go with Berlin because I, I, I just thought that uh, Western culture is something that I was always, um, you know, 
always living in, kind of, if if not physically from Russia, but then at least mentally and you know on the internet and culturally, that I decided that I'm probably going to be more comfortable if I move to the Western country. So that's what I did. Nice. And how did you actually find those two job opportunities? So this is very interesting, and that may be maybe some. Uh, I want to I want to kind of give a very a generalized um, answer to that so that it's maybe especially useful to the listeners of the podcast. Uh, but basically, initially, or when you're start, you, when you start searching for a job, initially you maybe think, okay, so let's say that in my case, I'm a product manager, but it doesn't, it could be engineer, whatever, whatever profession you have. So I'm a product manager. So then I guess I should start searching for a product manager. And I started looking, you know, using LinkedIn and whatnot just searching for a product manager in whatever company. And it turns out that's a very bad strategy. And the reason for this is that there are many, many product managers all around the world. And so if you're trying to compete with them, you're probably going to lose. And so when I started searching for a job like that, most of the time my CV was not even opened. In some systems you can see that, right? You're uploading a CV and then you can see that, you know, the position was filled. It didn't even, nobody even opened that. Uh, the situation changed when I started looking for specific areas. So, for example, at that time, I worked at EdTech, so I started looking for a product management position in EdTech, and this was the winner plan. Uh, so if somebody is searching for a job, although it seems a little counterintuitive, the best thing, like somebody will say, oh, I have a very niche position, like I have very niche experience. This is exactly what's going to carry you on. Because uh, if you have something that is rare, that is very specific, that's where you can be uh, in a situation where there's like, you know, small pawn situation, almost no competition. And you have experience that could be relevant to this exact position. So that's what I started doing. I started searching for specifically my area of expertise. And that's where it was just the first interview I got was, was already a success. Thanks for providing that great advice for our listeners. Did the company that you joined at that time provide relocation assistance on your move to Berlin? Mm-hmm. So in my particular case, they organized a uh, a flight uh, back uh, to Berlin and back uh, for an interview when they still didn't give you know the, the offer was still not there, so like an on-site interview. And then later on, they did offer a relocation package. Uh, also, I did look at two relocation packages from two offers, and obviously this was a big sell for me as well to Berlin because they offered like a place to stay for a month, uh, which uh, people. Uh, I mean, everybody I think will appreciate because it's so difficult to come into a new job and suddenly start searching for a flat, you know, to stay. It's very, could be very stressful. So they offered that. Uh, they didn't offer any money uh, specifically, but this alone was very important. Oh, that's extremely helpful. And especially in such a city where it is challenging to find a place to stay. So what was it like for you when you first moved to Berlin? Were there any particularly big surprises or challenges that you encountered in your first few weeks or months? Interestingly enough, no. Uh, what me and my wife instantly recognized, well, we recognized it you know, several months later, that there were people who would say that they found it to be very difficult. Somehow for us, we didn't feel that much change. Uh, it had to do, first of all, that even in Moscow, we would be uh, hanging around people who are very internationally minded, who either speak English or generally are immersed into Western culture. And also Moscow, at least at that time when I lived there, was 
a relatively developed Western city. So when we moved to Berlin, we didn't feel that there was a difference in culture. And at the same time, uh, thankfully, uh, my wife uh, speaks German, <laughs> which was a great help. So she was able, while I was working, she was able to, uh, you know, go around Berlin and uh, do the documents and all the paper stuff, paperwork. Uh, and she had enough of German to be able to, you know, do that relatively uh, painlessly. So this was this was a, a big help as well, being a, her being able to speak German. Yeah, that's great to hear, and especially having that German background, as you mentioned, makes a huge difference. Did that actually play into your decision to move here, or uh, not? Not so much. No. No, no, not so much. Uh, I mean, so, I, for example, I don't know German. I don't speak German. I, I just have a very, very basic level of German right now. And I never uh, studied German in school. My, my wife, she studied that in school. So that that's, that helped. Uh, but this was not, we really were looking, like, this was just a bonus. Like, wow, okay. And, and she happens to speak this. So this is this is very nice. Yeah, definitely. And how have you actually, you know, built up your language skills while you've been here, if you've had the opportunity to? Well, um, so that's that's something that I have a very strong opinion about, but also because it's strong, I understand that probably not many people will agree because I see many people doing it differently. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, what I started doing is a standard thing. I went to a language school that's here in Berlin, which is typically very known. So I started going there, and I very quickly aced. So Europe has the standard language levels, which are from A to C, and it's usually A1, A2, B1, B2, C1, C2, and then you're fluent. Uh, and uh, so I started going through A1 and A2 courses, and I went, you know, pretty quickly. I took the intense studies. It was difficult, you know, having a job and going to language school, but hey, it's it's fine. Uh, but then when, when I started going to B1 courses, that's when things started to break down a little bit because um, so it seems that nowadays people are using the same textbook in every school in Germany, mm -hmm. uh, which is called Menschen, which is like people. Um, that's the name of the textbook. And I find personally, as a product manager, I find the textbook horrible. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's, I think it's, it's designed either very poorly or it's designed for people who have everyday experience talking only German and then this book can kind of help them, uh, you know, uh, elevate their their grammar a little bit. Mm -hmm. But it's designed in such a way that you there's almost no exercises. So one of the problems that I had, one of the challenges, is that they give you a grammar rule. And you're like, okay, I get it, I get it. But now I have to really, you know, I want to get it down. And I, I want to really ha make many, many, many exercises. Many, I just, and you just need practice. And nothing like that exists in that book. They like give you a couple of exercises and you're done. And then you're never coming back to that. Mm. And so I found this very challenging. I spent uh, quite a lot of time, uh, more than a year, uh, going three days a week to to language school. And I just, I just, you know, it just didn't really help me that much. Partially because I don't have everyday German speaking experience. I'm working in an international company, which is English based. And at the same time, many people in Berlin who are Germans speak English. So it's, um, yeah, it's not easy uh, for me right now to do this. And then there's this feedback loop where you don't speak German. Therefore, you, it's difficult for you to talk specifically like to Germans. Right. And at the same time, you know, it goes the other way around as well. And so 
you're stuck in that loop. And uh, but you know, I'm I'm right now doing some self study using uh, an Asimil. Uh, German course, which really helps me. It's self-study, but it's uh, it seems to be designed very well. And it is when I started with this course half a year ago that I began to actually speak. So now I can speak a little bit, and um, I'm encur like I, I feel every time that I do the, this course, I feel that I'm I, I feel encouragement, and I want to try to speak. And so I mean, I'm getting there. Typically, sure. what I when I, when I'm talking to expats here, most of them say that you become confident in like five years so mm -hmm. and then looking at my dynamics i think that's that's what is going to happen as you mentioned working in an international environment even here in berlin you're able to work in english every day so what is actually driving you forward in terms of your learning of german what makes you want to keep you know spending so many hours studying it oh that's very straightforward <laughs> so the first time you have to go to a doctor, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> that's that's one of the reasons, right? Because uh, although it's possible to find doctors that speak English, it's not always possible. And sometimes you need a doctor fast. Something happens, you just you just need to see a doctor, a dentist, I don't know. So even these kind of things. But also it's the, just the comfort. You want to be comfortable in your environment. And as for me, like I think that I, uh, you know, we're planning to stay in Germany for a long time, maybe indefinitely, maybe permanently, of course, you want to be able to speak the language around you and also to be part of the culture. And one of the things that I really like is, uh, you know, uh, for example, you want to go to a show um, mm -hmm. and this show is in German or you want to go to a comedy club. You want to understand what people are saying, you know? Sure. So, of course, of course, you're constantly reminded that, of course, you have to speak, you know, native language. So that's that, that, that in itself is very natural. It's a very natural motivation. As you mentioned, this might be actually the place where you live indefinitely. Is that something that you had in mind when you first moved here? We didn't have any specific plans about this. Uh, like, I mean, we did have specific plans to... Uh, to permanently reside outside of Russia, but we didn't think about Germany at the time. Uh, but as we started living here, we really liked it. And there are a lot of things to like about Germany because not only this is a very democratic country, it is also a country that has, um, that has very mm, well-organized welfare state. Mm -hmm. And so once you start comparing the situation, for example, which is, which is now being debated in the U.S., things like, uh, you know, uh, healthcare and these kind of things, uh, you can see that in Germany these things are very well thought through. Of course, you can always perfect systems, but in general, this is also a very big selling point. So, Right. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that sentiment. Uh, when you first moved here, did you get a, any particular type of visa? Was there something that you were shooting for on that front? Or did you follow the advice of the company that hired you? And, you know, what was that process like? Uh, it was actually a little, mm, a little vice versa. So, uh, of course, I talked to the company first. But uh, when I started, and this is something that, uh, again, this sort of generalized answer that I can give because I gave it to many people, is that before I started choosing, like internally, uh, like I was having interviews with companies uh, from different countries, including UK. Uh, so I had UK, Germany, I had Singapore. I had a couple of others, I don't remember necessarily right now, from Europe. 
And then I was looking at what kind of visas are being uh, required to come work to, you know, in a given country. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, countries like US and UK, I almost instantly decided not to even look at because they have very complicated immigration issues at the time. UK at that time was already uh, having, uh, like for several years, uh, people voted that immigration and immigrants are a problem. Uh, or at least, you know, this was the political discourse at the time. And even students had difficulty getting a visa. So I was thinking, no, this is definitely not, you know, not a safe, <laughs> not a safe option there. So uh, in Germany, uh, there is unique thing. So Europe has this blue card, right. uh, kind of like a green card in U.S., uh, but it is implemented country by country. So we have to look at how blue card is implemented in a given country. And so Germany has a unique blue card in that it gives you more uh, opportunities. First of all, it's much uh, more permissive than the usual work visa in Germany. Uh, so you, the company does not have to prove that you're a unique uh, expert. Instead, all they need to make sure is that you're receiving a, enough money. And so the law tells you, here's the amount of money that you need to receive as your salary annually. And if, if this and some, some other standard documents, things are satisfied, then that's fine. You're given a blue card. So that's, that's, that's the visa that I guess most people are now immigrating with or through uh, to Germany uh, via a job. Right. And was it difficult for you to acquire that visa or, I mean, in terms of the actual work that needed to be done on it, or was the company able to take care of most of that for you? Uh, so in our case, it's, uh, so there are a couple of ways uh, that you get a blue card. One way is you get it from the country of origin that you come from. In my case, it was Russia. Or you can first grab like a job search visa that Germany actually has find a job in Germany and then receive a blue card. So mm -hmm. in my case, uh, we received it very easily. I got a contract and I went to the German embassy in Russia and applied for a blue card there. And they give you like a visa that says, okay, you're eligible for a blue card. Then you come to Germany and that's where the company helped a lot. Uh, they just, uh, you know, uh, applied all these documents to to the foreigner's office, and then these guys issue their visa. Basically, when you apply with this visa, they, they're kind of obliged to give you a visa. So it's not like a lottery or anything. They just give you a visa. Uh, if the company does not help, you can still, like, it's not impossible to, to get it. Uh, it's just a little bit more difficult if you don't know the language, which is actually a little um, a little ironic because foreigner's office kind of implies that there's going to be a lot of foreigners, but right. typically nobody will speak English there. Uh, there are several people who are younger. So like if you see clerks who are younger, they typically will speak English, some of them even very gladly. And many of us were very thankful to them when they yes. would just say, sure, sure. Because I mean, imagine, uh, I can understand the necessity to make sure that a person knows German if he wants, for example, to become a citizen. This is absolutely normal. Of course, you have to, to, to speak the language, obviously. There's absolutely no, uh, no doubt about it. But uh, imagine somebody comes from Italy to work for a couple of years in Germany and then move to France and then move back to Italy, right? They're not, they can't be expected to learn each language they go to. It's, it's European Union. That's the whole point of that. But somehow one of the difficulties that many people in Berlin experience and maybe in Germany in general is that foreigners office clerks will typically not talk to you in English at all. So right. that's yeah. a little challenging. It is a big challenge. Yeah, definitely. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, recently you got your permanent residence here in Germany. Is that right? 
yeah, yeah, that is true. So the blue card allows you to get a permanent residence based, uh, so either you get it in three years, uh, basically without German language, or you get it in two years if you can prove that you have like this intermediate German language. So because I was going to school, I was able to prove that, hey, yeah, I have intermediate German, so they give you the permanent residence. Well, that's great. Congratulations. Thank you. It is it is the same kind of permanent residence that you like. For example, uh, a person who gets a permanent residence of this sort, uh, they cannot le leave the country for more than six months. So it's very similar to how U.S. handles their green card, actually. So that's where the the green card, blue card analogy actually works. Right. And now that you're a permanent resident, what other benefits do you get that might not have been you know available to you under the blue card policy? Right. So if you're a permanent resident resident basically you're a lawful resident of germany and you have every right as the citizen apart of course from the political things like voting and uh, uh and being like uh, holding an office uh, like the governmental office right. positions so uh, basically that means that you're no longer tied to any employer uh, you no longer have to work because the blue card thing is that you have to work. And if you're fired or you leave a job, you have only three months to find another job. And if you don't, your blue card is uh, canceled. So for people who want to stay in Germany and live here and they have a life here already, this is, of course, a risk, right? Who knows what happens? You might be an excellent expert, great worker, but something happens to the company and you're let go. And then in three months, you cannot find it, right? So it's always stress. So this removes that. You're basically now a lawful resident, of course, a taxpayer who just can live and work in Germany. So the only thing you cannot do is vote. So you mentioned that in your first contract, you were able to get an apartment covered for one month in Berlin. How did you actually find a final apartment after that point? And where did you end up staying? How did you make that decision? Uh, so we were using, so my wife was primarily searching for this. She was using some of the websites that were recommended to mm -hmm. us. Actually, I don't necessarily remember already the names of these websites, but whenever I hear them, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, we use the same. Uh, but e people can easily find these websites on any expat kind of oriented site. It's uh, and uh, we were even once uh, we bumped into a scam. Like people will tell you, there's a very known scam when you're trying to find an apartment in Berlin, probably elsewhere as well. Is that people say, "Oh, I have this great apartment." They send you the photos, the address, and they say, uh, "However, I live somewhere in Italy right now, so I can, you know, very cheaply, you know." get it to you, just wire me the money and get the key over there. And of course, th this is a scam, but we thankfully realized that this is a scam. Uh, eventually, we got an apartment in uh, Prenzlauerberg, which is a very nice uh, area. Well, some people find it nice, some don't. I mean, it's always a matter of taste and what you want, but it's pretty much a very calm area. People typically say that this is a family-friendly district of Berlin. Mm -hmm. um, we found it, so basically one of the difficulties that people have when locating an apartment in Berlin finding is that uh, in certain, especially like in the end of summer, there are many students, they try to search for an apartment, right? So you have high competition. And at the same time, um, if uh, at the same time, there was a situation that, for example, if you're competing with Germans, you're probably going to lose. Right. We had that several times. For example, we would come to an apartment and the host is going to be there and they're going to show something to us. And then a German couple comes in and that's it. And you realize that's it. Right. You see it happening in front of you. 
Yes, you see that happening right in front of your eyes. Like, that's it. They're you're lost to them. So, uh, but but in general, uh, what helped actually is that my wife was able to like look. Most people will work, and then in the evening they'll go look at apartments, mm. and then you you're 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 walking among those crowds. Right. <laughs> like there are going to be like three room apartment, like crowds of people looking at it. So high competition. My wife wife was able to uh, go and see a couple of apartments in the morning, mm. and there was like. Sh- her and somebody else and you know we had all the documents and you know i could prove that i have a job and it's a well-paid job so uh yeah we just we got it relatively quickly we searched for apartment only for one month yeah that's great that's actually a success story for sure yeah yeah, it it was a success story and it's probably not a very uh representative story uh we, we i know people who found an apartment fast as well i know people who search for a long time but simply what people do is that they get an airbnb mm-hmm. or they get an apartment for three months they stay there while searching for the long term right yeah it could be uh you know a string of six month places or you know whatever it takes to ultimately find the one that you want to stick in so how did you actually make your friends when you first moved to Berlin? Maybe through coworkers or meetups? What was the way that you were able to really build a network here? Coworkers primarily because uh, since I was hired by an international company, there were a lot of people who were also expats. Um, and, um, and then, yeah, so in terms of in terms of getting into other kind of communities, that has been actually pretty difficult. Mm -hmm. And first of all, because a lot of things are of course in German as we're in Germany. So um, it's uh, sometimes you want to go somewhere or, so for example, me and my wife went to a couple of board games communities where people play board games together Mm -hmm. and uh, it was all in German. And although it was okay, like we could understand what's going on, it at that time it was not still comfortable enough for us to really stick and make some friends because actually although people I said before that a lot of people in Berlin are able to speak English it doesn't mean that they're comfortable doing that mm-hmm. so uh, there are a lot of people who are able to understand and and you know speak their mind generally but you can see that they're not as comfortable really communicating and and you know uh, having a friendship with someone in English so. That has been actually pretty difficult. Still, we, we're trying our best. So, for example, we've organized a dancing school here. Wow. So my wife is running a uh, rockabilly jive 50s dance school, and most of our students are actually Germans. Oh, wow. So we, cool. I wouldn't say that we, are, like, we haven't made any friends, you know, like specifically like hanging out and stuff like that, but at, at least we're beginning to be part of the community, which is nice. So Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, if you find something that you enjoy that you're good at, and especially maybe being able to do some sort of side business or something like that. Um, you know, why not create it yourself, right? Yeah, exactly. I did hear though, even like from Germans, uh, that if you're, if you're a German and you're moving from one city to another, you will also have a hard time, mm-hmm. uh, making friends. This seems to be a narrative that I'm hearing all the time that in Germany, it's very difficult to make friends. Um, it's uh i'm yet not experienced enough to say that yes this is what i'm seeing all the time but that's that's the popular narrative about germany in general yeah makes sense and so you moved here with your first company how i'm curious to hear more about that experience in terms of getting comfortable working there and you know how you progressed in your career there and if you've actually managed to change jobs since you've been here in berlin 
Yeah, yeah. So I already changed jobs. Uh, the first company that basically helped me relocate, I've worked there for two years. Um, it, it was a nice company, but it was a startup that experienced, uh, you know, growth pains. Mm-hmm. So basically, it was it was a startup of like under 100 people that exploded into 300 people. So uh, it was an interesting time, but at the same time, a challenging one for the company. The company went through several rounds of, you know, uh, cuts and uh, cost cuts and people were let go so by the end of the two years that I was there it was pretty stressful it was a nice experience and the, the company was uh, very comfortable to work in like I as I said before this works the same way for my job experience I didn't have uh, I didn't feel any you know difficulties going in uh, switching from one job to another meaning like from from Russia to Germany uh, because also I was working in the same uh, in the same industry mm-hmm. remember I, so I was saying that I was searching specifically for hey do you do they need experts in my industry? And so that made the transition very easy because I knew exactly what the company was doing. This was very cool. This was like the first time in my life where, uh, where I, you know, I changed, changed jobs and it was like, yeah, I'm doing like the same thing I did yesterday. That was pretty cool. Um, and uh, then I changed jobs again and it was the same thing again. It was like, yep, I know exactly what I'm doing. So uh, this, was, this is like, this is a very interesting experience for people who choose one industry. Right. I, I am not sure that I'm going to stay in this, you know, in this industry for all of my life, but because this was, this was a nice journey there, it was very interesting. So how did you find that next position? So, uh, so that was a pretty long, long period of time. So I had, uh, I think I was searching for one of the uh, four or five months for a job, but I made sure that I want to, like, I made sure that the company that I will find is uh, a company I will really enjoy and that I can stay for at least two years more. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, so I was really careful in, in searching. So I, I, here's what I did. Uh, every industry probably or most industries will have uh, agencies that will help you find jobs specifically for your industry. This was actually something that was news to me when I was when I, when initially I was searching for a job outside of Russia. This was you know, like I thought that there are agencies that you know recruiting agencies that kind of help you find things, but I didn't know that they can be industry specific. They can. Mm-hmm. This is very yeah, cool. That's great. So I was actually talking to an industry specific you know agency and saying, "Hey guys, so I'm ready to move on. Maybe you know you can help me." Uh, but eventually, I actually found a job through a former colleague who recommended me. So, uh, you know, I found a job, uh, and then at the very last moment, this guy comes up and says, hey, and this was all in the same industry. So I was just looking at two different offers and saying, okay, this offer is better. Uh, but, yeah, it took a long time, and then it, it was all down to luck, right. <laughs> as, as it sometimes happens. Yeah, as it often is, uh, but- definitely. But nevertheless, nevertheless, like to give more general points so that it's more useful to listeners, you know, uh, it was LinkedIn. And uh, once I, what I realized is once I moved to Berlin, I began to be contacted by a lot of recruiters because once you're in Europe, right, that means that you have the right to work there. And that means that you're now more accessible to other companies. So I was using that a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're, you know, you're always getting these emails in LinkedIn. Hey, are you interested in that? Are you interested in that? And uh, what I do is that I, I sometimes write to people, hey, you know, I like your recruiting agency. I like what you guys do. Like either I heard about it or I like their portfolio. And I say, I'm not, you know, searching for anything right now, but let's stay connected because who knows, maybe in the future 
I'll write that. I'll write you. And this is what happened when I decided to move on. I started writing some of the guys that I had made contacts with before and saying, yeah, you know, actually, I'm looking for something now. And I got a number of very interesting, uh, you know, offers from them. Well, not offers, but like interviews and the co contacts. So this is also, I think, a very viable uh, solution once you get this networking. Right. And... You know, the narrative right now has really been a lot about the fast-growing Berlin tech startup scene, and I know that you've been a part of that, and I have as well. What's your impression of the quantity and the quality, frankly, of the job opportunities available to foreigners in Berlin in this space, but maybe outside of tech as well? So outside of tech, I'm not sure. I don't have much experience, so I, I wouldn't be able to comment there. Um, in terms of uh, tech, I would say that there are two significant uh, markets, I guess, for for experts, right? For uh, for employees, one is really like a startup, a startup market where you are probably not going to get a lot of money, uh, but a lot of opportunities to join companies that are just starting out. Uh, it could be great for building experience, but you have to understand that the money is probably going to be not, you know, it's, it's not going to be enormous salaries or anything mm -hmm. like that. It could be a lot of like shares and, you know, you're going to get, if, if you're working in, a, in IT and you have good experience, you can get a high position in the hierarchy of the company, but unlikely to get a lot of money. Uh, however, there's another part of the market, and this is either more established companies, which are actually also very numerous, that people don't necessarily talk about them, but there are many very established companies here that can pay you a lot of money and that need you, like they need your expertise. And the other thing, another thing is that American startups, mm -hmm. uh, they, are, they are able to pay you much higher salaries than most startups in Berlin simply because they're based in America and the money is different. Right. So in my experience, if the, even if it's a startup, they can pay you much more than, uh, than Berlin startups, Berlin-based startups. Yeah. So there's really options for any type of person that's interested in this field. What are some of the best aspects of your life here, and especially as you compare it to where you've lived in the past? So I can compare it to two cities, Moscow and New York. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and one of the things that I really love about Berlin is that it's such a small city. It's so comfortable to live in. Uh, if you if you want to get somewhere, it's typically 30, even sometimes 20 minutes, and you're there. Um, even like the amount of people at the streets is very comfortable. It's never too many people. It's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's a very cozy city to live in. It's just so comfortable in that sense. Uh, I also really like the fact that uh, very frequently you're able to find an apartment in, uh, in a building which is not like a high-story building, but you know, smaller building. I love the fact that you can just get out of your house like two minutes and you're already outside. You know, you don't have to go to the elevator and, you know, get down and wait, you know, right. these kind of things. It's a small point, but it was, it, you know, it's it's, a, it's important for me. Uh, in terms of climate, it really depends on where you come from. So we had colleagues from South America and I've seen a person who was looking at snow for the first time in Berlin. Yeah. It's like, I've never seen snow before. So this is pretty cool to see. <laughs> so obviously for, for people who are coming from, let's say, South America, the climate might be um, very different and it depends on, you know, how a person reacts. Does, 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 but I, I, as coming from, like, last year's, I lived in Moscow, uh, definitely a milder 
climate if you're coming from let's say you know uh, northern russia or canada or something like that so the climate here is mild but of course if you're coming from california it's going to be like okay there's actually winter here <laughs> I, I think that generally the, the climate is actually pretty mild in that frequently you say that you know what it could have been cold but it's not that cold <laughs> but i don't know yeah i mean i i feel like i have a bit of a different perspective of course coming from california but also in my second winter now where you know i can compare it to last winter and i at least think so far you know knock on wood that sitting here in february of 2018 <laughs> it's actually not so it's not been so bad i mean it's obviously gray exactly for a lot of the time but you know, not so much snow, not very often. And, um, you know, it's, it hovers around zero a lot, but as long as you have the right clothes, which of course you got to build up in your first year and get comfortable with that, then, you know, it's, it's something you can make it through and you can look forward to a great summer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Generally that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's like, yep. you always kind of think it's not that bad. <laughs> right. How can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? So uh, what I'm doing, I guess, is not related too much to the content of this podcast. So if anybody is at all interested, uh, I mean, uh, it's always difficult for me. You know, this uh, there was a number of articles uh, in the past year speaking about the generational gap between understanding like what a person is identified with, and mm -hmm. for the most most history, actually, people would identify themselves with their professions, right? You right. know, Smith. That's why we have these kind of last names. Uh, so, I, I mean, I'm working as a product manager, but I, I also have, like, a lot of projects that I do. Like, I design games. I write a lot of music. I, I guess that one of my main amateur kind of my hobbies, uh, which I do take seriously, though, is making music. So, and I also write a lot of critical analysis on various topics. So, anyway, anyone can find me at LuigiVerona.com, which is my nickname, basically, and the name which I'm publishing everything under, Luigi Verona. So if anybody is interested, visit my website and just take a look at what I'm doing in my spare time. Thank you so much for your time and your insight and look forward to hearing how things turn out for you here in Berlin. Thank you. Thanks to Kirill for sharing his story with us. You can find the show notes for this episode as well as a full transcript at expatempire.com. If you are interested in sharing your story on Expat Empire, please consider submitting a user post about your expat experiences on expatempire.com or email us at podcast at expatempire.com and let us know more about your international background. Music on this episode was produced by Eli Hermit. Please check him out on Bandcamp and Spotify. Keep up to date on new Expat Empire podcast episodes by pressing the subscribe button in the podcasting app of your choice. You can also visit expatempire.com and sign up for the newsletter to get notified about new podcast episodes and receive a ton of free expat and travel-related content. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, at expatempire, so be sure to follow us there. Last, but certainly not least, we would appreciate a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps new listeners to find us and lets us know that we are putting out content that you appreciate. Thanks for your continued support. Our next episodes will be out after the winter holidays, so stay tuned. See you then.